Hello, and welcome to the Mordinary Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Meredith. And we are the Moors. We are ordinary people who have experienced more than ordinary circumstances. Settle in as we discuss ordinary life and its extraordinary potential. So, welcome to the Mordinary Podcast. You are in episode four of a series we're doing on the five stages of grief. Meredith, how about you just kind of get us caught up on where we've been and where we're at right now? Absolutely. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Um, as you know, if you've been listening, we've covered um, the stage of denial, which is the first stage of grief. Then we talked about anger with a good friend that we had on. And then we just recently talked about bargaining. So today, what we're going to be talking about is the stage of depression. Kind of a tougher one and sadder one to talk about, but it's very real and needed. Mm-hmm. And so Johnny and I, in our journey of recovery and grief from our trauma, he actually faced the depression stage before I did, and then I ended up facing it as well. So we're going to start with him sharing his part of the journey in depression. Yeah, so I had that initial shock of it, and then I got angry at it. I bargained with it, and eventually I got depressed. And... To me, a lot of the depression was caused by this change in my life that I didn't like. I didn't like that I couldn't walk anymore. I didn't like that I couldn't do the job that I loved anymore. You know, I used to work a 24-48 shift, and I would spend 24 hours doing a job that I felt was just me. It was it was, it was my calling. I, I kind of felt like I didn't really pick my job. My job picked me. I, I didn't feel like I could really do any other job. That's, that's who I was, and um, I loved it. And then I would spend my two days off. I had a handyman business where I went and I, several businesses that I'd go and I'd complete jobs that they needed done. And I served people in a physical, tangible, mechanical way. And all of that required my legs. And it was amazing just how much my identity and my whole life relied on the use of my legs because because of the, just the way I chose to serve people and then I and this is where I just got depressed because in my eyes I was just hopeless I didn't have the ability to do that anymore and I was just just feeling incredibly overwhelmed and at times I felt like I was like on the edge of a grand canyon with this huge chasm in front of me and there was no way of getting across it and I was just sitting there thinking I can't I, I have nowhere to go but here from here that this is this is my new reality and I don't like it yeah and in the in the permanency of the situation was really settling in like I talked about like I got angry at it and like we talked about in these previous episodes and I just bargained and I had this guilt and then this is the point where I just felt like this isn't changing mm-hmm. like this is my new normal this is my new reality it's not changing. I've tried these other, I've been through these other phases and they haven't changed anything. And I, and I don't, I don't like my life and I don't like the way things are going. And I don't like the fact that this is a, a permanent situation. And for me, that stage happened, the, the accident happened in September of 2008. And I hit the, I would call the point of depression in mid to late 09, mm-hmm. that late summer, winter of 09. And at the time, if you would have asked me, I wouldn't say, yep, I'm in stage four, the stage of depression. I I, I didn't have that vocabulary. I didn't have that at the time. And and a lot of it has been now reflecting back and looking at it. Right. 
but seeing looking back now, I, I I can definitely tell that 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 was what I would call my phase of depression or that stage. Yeah, and I remember I just remember back then like it was almost like just kind of going through the motions. Mm-hmm. We would. We would literally, I mean, and and I went I went through the depression phase kind of separate than Meredith, and really that ended up being a huge blessing, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. I kind of felt like I was just going through life in this fog, and that I was just going through the motions. I was going to work. I was coming home. We were training for these races, and I was getting ready for a what I thought was going to be a 5K turned into a marathon that fall, and I just was going through the motions and going through this bike, riding my bike and stuff, but I didn't have any fulfillment from it. Life was not fulfilling for me. We kept trying to keep moving. Yeah, keep moving. And people said, you know, exercise is good. And and we were going through counseling at the time and talked about how exercise was good and being around community was good and having friends and network and having people around to support you is good. So we did that. But even with that, it still didn't fulfill us. Right. We just were going through the motions, and and all of those things were important, but it didn't fix the problem. Right. Nothing was going to fix the problem other than spending this time coming to grips with this new reality. But I think, of course, though, those things helped us not get stuck. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it helped us eventually escape from this stage. And I say escape because it feels like, you're you're in quicksand. You, you feel so stuck. And I sometimes use the analogy of I felt like I was underwater mm-hmm. and I couldn't take a breath. And I just felt this hopeless, like there's no hope for me. Like I can look up, I can see the light, but I can't, I can't breathe. This is overwhelming. And I, I just feel helpless down here. And every now and then I feel like we would, we would go out with friends or we would do something and that would kind of bring me up to the top. I'd, I'd, I'd take a deep breath and have this moment of just happiness and like where I would escape out of it mm-hmm. but then it, it would I would kind of creep back down into there and I would go back under the water and under the water and in that moment of hopelessness in this stage of depression is where you do cope and over, learn to like we're going to talk in the next episode learn to accept it but you don't see that at the time because all you see is what your life used to be and well, what your life is now in the contrast. I don't know if this goes with your analogies, but to to be able to swim, you have to go under. Yes. That's a good one, right? That is a good one. Okay, good. Yes. Um, but, but, you know, in, in order for you to swim and eventually learn to do your strokes and learn to move in that water, sometimes you spend some time under the water. Yeah. And you got to, and, and it's at times terrifying and that hopelessness. But got to learn how to hold your breath or you can right. almost think hold on like how can right. you hold on without losing yeah the battle yeah so what did depression look like for you what did, what did that look like for you honey um for me it was a little bit later mm-hmm. i think during that time i was definitely survival mode i'm gonna be the caregiver i'm gonna help him we're gonna get through this right. we got this we can do this um mentality and was holding really good with that I would say. And like, I would say you did. I, I, like felt, he said, I, I felt supported. <laughs> That's good. Like he said, running was a big part of our healing process. Mm-hmm. Um, we both fell in love with it, really yeah. enjoyed doing races together. He did a full, I did a half that fall. For me though, and as we've 
been sharing with you guys in, in more episodes will give more detail. For me, it was when we found out we weren't able to have biological children. Mm-hmm. So we had started the process of figuring out how that's going to work for us since things have changed. And we had found out that what we thought may work wasn't going to work. Yeah. And so for me, that was about two, two and a half years after the accident when we found that out. It was like, ouch, okay, I don't know if I can keep going. Like, that one hurt on top of everything else. Like, I thought I could do it. But that this one's a this is even harder to swallow on top of everything that we're already going through to get taken away. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Our life had got taken away in, in in that idea of this is we had a plan. This was our plan. And then here's another plan that we thought was gonna happen and didn't happen. Right. So for us that's was the trauma that had happened and so for me it was I just couldn't stop crying. Yeah. A lot of crying, um, a lot of just feeling like, why did that just happen? You know, I felt like I had to go through all the stages again that I thought I just went through mm-hmm. with the second trauma that that had happened in our lives. And well, like back to the water thing, it, it's almost like you're on a surfboard and you rode that first wave mm-hmm. of my accident, but that second wave of trauma that we received with the infertility, that's the one that knocked you down. Mm -hmm. The first one took me down. Yeah. The second one took you down. Yeah. And it was, it it was these two, I would say our two big significant waves of trauma that Mm -hmm. we've experienced. At that point, I think you kind of were getting through some of your stuff and processing through counseling and through just going through it. Mm -hmm. And then when this news hit, it was devastating for me. I just, I, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, if you go on the websites and look under the depression, there's different words that are listed, and I think Johnny already said them, maybe already, but it's overwhelmed, hopelessness, hostility, and flight. And I think for me, I maybe experienced all four at the same time, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just became overwhelmed with the news. I felt hopeless, like... Well, that I will never be able to carry. I'll never know what it feels like to have a baby in my belly now. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and And for a brief time, that was a big deal. And for a brief time, it was in question whether or not you'd ever even be a mom. Yeah. And then hostility of just, I didn't like pregnant people around me. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to talk about that, but I I got mad. Yep. And then flight was, I kind of hid. Yeah. I didn't really want to be around people. We would fly and retreat. And, and just get away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just and I had to do that. I had to do it to process. And I had to go through it. And even in the midst of running, even in the midst of really trying to still stay around people that I trusted and cared about, I think watching my husband suffer and then know that that got taken away, not only from me, but from both of us to happen, like that just felt so unfair at the time and just overwhelming, just being so young. Again, we were only what 27 at this time and that's pretty young 26 yeah 26 27 and um just feeling like like I I really remember sitting on the couch or not a couch our bed crying because that's what I did at this time Mm -hmm. a lot and saying why to God yeah why this now like Mm -hmm. and we're hearing that other families in our situation can have kids 
but not us. Yeah. Why? You know, and our God is such an awesome God and that he told me, and it wasn't like this big audible voice that he would think of, but I just felt it inside me, this saying of saying, I didn't say no. Yeah. And to me, it was like, thank you for just showing me something because I'm so brokenhearted right now. I feel mm -hmm. like out of control and hopeless. And to me, that meant I didn't say no to your guys' life. Mm -hmm. I didn't say no to some of your plans. They just looked different. So for me, that was a big deal. That was a big changer. And even though I was doing all the right things, like being around the people that I love, exercising, going to mm -hmm. work, not staying in bed all day, not giving up in that way, mm -hmm. I still had the feeling of wanting to give up. Yeah. And it got real real. Mm-hmm for a little bit. And then I had this awesome doctor who was overseeing me at the time of just my general doctor. And I was honest with him saying, I'm struggling. I'm in deep depression. I, I need some help. Yeah. And just being honest with him. And he was a great doctor who I loved and trusted because he said he was reluctant to give me some meds. But at that time I did need meds to kind of get over this hump. And he said, I'm going to give you these if you exercise with it. Yeah. And continue with counseling. And like the, the, mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't simply, here's a script. Yeah. You're better now. It's, um, and, and, you need to do the other work that goes along with this. And he told me, you need to run four miles three times a week, if not mm -hmm. more to get all of those good hormones that I needed, mm -hmm. that I was lacking. And that can, that happens in your body. Yeah. And I did it. I was really tried to be really disciplined in it because I wanted to overcome this. Yeah. Didn't want to feel this awful loneliness that you get in it and mm -hmm. just feeling so lost. And so for me, that worked for me. Him saying, you can have these, these two can work for you. Right. If you take these steps, if you do this. And I'm kind of that type of person where if you tell me, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. That's very true. That's very true. You I, give her a five-step plan, she will follow those five steps to a T. I will. I will do it. And so for me, I can honestly say running saved my life. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely did. And, you know, there's we, we've, we're going to put some articles in the show notes with this, but there's a few articles that we came across that really had some great points in them. And one was um, this de depression phase, you need to go with it. You don't try to push it away or distract yourself. It's healthy and you will not feel sad forever. And trying to remember that this, this is simply one of the stages. This is not a permanent feeling. This may be a permanent state of life for you that the, whatever the trauma was, your, this is maybe your new normal, but the feeling of depression, the feeling of helplessness and hopelessness is not permanent. And there is hope and there is light at the end of that tunnel, whether you can see it or not. And, you know, anger and bargaining are kind of active phases, but depression feels like a quiet stage of grief, like being underwater, that, that quietness, but terrifying. Yeah. I really like that analysis or that way of putting it of that. It's a quiet stage because I think it also gives it a perspective of letting yourself sit in it. Mm -hmm. Like, 
I know we've mentioned the analogy of muck, but also like this valley, like you talked about the Grand Canyon. So, mm-hmm. okay, so this is the part where you're at the bottom of that, mm-hmm. but you're on your way moving out. Yeah. It's kind of where you need that quiet walk. And be okay with that quietness and be okay with that quietness. And that quietness allows you to process things and process what your new normal is. And eventually you'll be able to process to the point of you accept that as your new normal. And that'll be obviously the next episode. But that that quiet, calm, not always calm, but quiet time when you can be with yourself and be in your own thoughts. Yeah, I agree. Being in your thoughts, letting yourself process. And as we kind of talk about this, Johnny and I kind of were trying to decide how do we talk about this type of depression as compared to maybe clinical depression Mm -hmm. in that there are some differences in this, in that this is you grieving something that has happened to you, where maybe clinical depression is something that's more long-term. Yeah, um, you may get to a point where you you are by definition clinically depressed. I'm not saying that you won't be possibly by definition clinically depressed, but this is the type of depression that is linked directly to a traumatic event and not a chemical imbalance in the body that needs to be medicated permanently for someone. This is a type of depression that's caused specifically by a specific trauma and is able to be stemmed directly to that um, and not an underlying problem that someone, a a permanent diagnosis. Yeah. And and not that we're saying there's no chemical imbalance because we're not doctors, but that and that's not what you meant, but just yeah. want to validate that mm-hmm. that's not what you were saying, but it could still happen. Right. Hence why I needed that. I think there was a chemical thing that had happened from due to the traumas yeah. that we had faced. And I think there's a, the, the, dynamic. and I think there's a big stigma with accepting that. And, yeah. and you had some hesitation. You didn't want to take that medication. No, not at all. But the doctor I think was really good in explaining that. I'm not saying this is forever. Mm-hmm. This is to help you get through this period of time. This is to help give you a boost to help you get through this period of time. And, and eventually you came off of that. And there's no shame in people that maybe need it permanently. Absolutely. But in just being able to go with it and being comfortable and getting to a point where you feel comfortable going into a doctor and having those honest conversations and getting the help and possibly the medication that you need to find some stability in your life yeah it was to the point where it was affecting my life so that's when we knew I needed to go in Mm -hmm. and we hope that when you hear my story that you hear you're not alone again we always want to I know that can seem cliche but it's so true yeah but also that you can have the courage to do that and if you don't like your doctor and you don't feel like it, luckily we live in a country where you can go find another one. Yeah. Or ask around, hey, is there a doctor that you think I could go talk to? Or don't be afraid to advocate for yourself if you can. Well, and we talked about in our marriage that if you don't feel comfortable talking to your spouse, there's a problem. And that's the same thing with a doctor. If you don't feel comfortable bringing it to them and having that conversation, there's a problem and find a doctor that you feel comfortable having that conversation with. And that's the same thing with a counselor too. You need to have a, a counselor that you feel comfortable being completely vulnerable with 
being emotionally naked in front of and where there is no shame, there is no guilt, and that you just are able to be completely transparent with and they can help you process through these stages. One of the articles that we had read talks about depression can turn into this self-blame and shame. That self-blame and shame about not quote-unquote pulling it together, overt sadness, fear of being pitied, or loss of respect often keep people isolated with depression and unable to reach out for help when they need it. Yeah. And so we want to just kind of speak that out to you that if you are feeling this because you've gone through something, don't feel bad. It is okay that you're not quote unquote pulling it together. You have to process this. Yeah. And like we already said once and what the article, other article said that just go with it. Don't try to push it away or distract yourself. Go through this stage. It's healthy and you will not feel this way forever. And your, your situation may be permanent, but this stage is not. This stage of depression is not permanent, even even though in the time it feels like it will be. Absolutely. And one of the other things that stood out in this one article that we are definitely going to put in our notes so you guys can mm-hmm. read through it too, is that to responding to depression after trauma, that depression is nothing that you choose. Depression is not your fault. Depression does not equate to doing something wrong or failing to doing something right. And that depression is about suffering. Mm-hmm. And guys, those just, I think, say it. R- read really that one well. more time, and I think that's a great thing to end on. That responding to depression after trauma, that depression is nothing you choose. Depression is not your fault. Depression does not equate to doing something wrong or failing to doing something right. Depression is about suffering. Yeah. All right. This makes me really excited for the next episode of Acceptance. Um, we really appreciate you sticking with us through this episode. It's it's a tough one. It's a tough, tough stage because the word hopelessness is tied to it. And that's not a feeling anyone yeah. wants to feel. So we really want to thank you for listening in today. We thank you for spending time with us and just giving us your time. Sometimes there's no no better gift you can give somebody than your time. And you've get, you guys have given us your time. So we want to thank you for that. If you want to reach out to us, we'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear how this has affected you or just ideas for future episodes. If you want to reach out to us, we are at mordinarypodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Mordinary. And with that, we are out.